Life is hectic, demanding, and doesn't stop. When honest with ourselves, we must confess we often don't know what the hell we're doing. The LARCast is an ongoing conversation about the inclusive and mischievous nature of God's presence through the lens of all the things that make up this phenomenon we refer to as life. Astonishing grace and refreshing honesty collide right here for your weekly encouragement. I either need hair plugs or I just got to keep my beard low. <laughs> it's like there's only some two options. Yeah, for sure. For sure. We, uh, we're starting this LARC cast with uh, Russ asking me why I shaved my beard. And uh, if you follow us on social media, you'll know I just posted a, posted a picture of me with uh, my beard's gone. It is. Sad day. Why don't you tell everybody really quick why you why you cut it down? I'd though. rather not because then that's going to get into a bunch of other different things. But let's just say that I I don't know what what you would call it. Um, vanity, I think, is probably a good word. I do oh. a lot of I have okay. a lot of I have a lot of vanity, <laughs> little silly things <laughs> that I focus on yeah. that I do because it bothers me or I think it looks. I'm a I vain had- person. I'll just I'll just say it. Dude, I, I, yeah, and I appreciate the honesty, and I think our audience appreciates the honesty. And you know, after working with you for six years, man, I'm I'm literally in shock right now. I know from this confession, I'm like, what? My my friend Tony is like, nah, dude, this has to go. This <laughs> this beard just doesn't look right with this motorcycle helmet I just got, <laughs> and it's I just I'm gonna have to I I gotta cut this. <laughs> I was thinking about waiting for another episode to like <laughs> let everyone know that you know I just started journeying into the motorcycle world, but it's true. This past weekend, I I took a I took a safety training class. Um, got my got my license here coming up pretty soon. Bought a bike, got a helmet, got some gloves, doing it right, trying to be Love safe. It. And uh, yeah, I just had this like big beard hanging down past this full face helmet. I think if I was like rocking one of those like half helmets with like a big chopper, you know, like <laughs> looking like I was from Ventura, California or LA County or something. Like Sons like of some, Anarchy style. Like so, some ape hangers. Yeah, my buddy was saying in Sons of Anarchy, which I, I wouldn't have known when I watched the show, but they were all riding like the performance Dinas, mm-hmm. which he was saying is the progression of the West Coast Chopper, like a performance progression of the West Coast Chopper, the Dyna, the way it's built. So they all have like Dinas in the show and stuff. Mm-hmm. And if I was out there doing that with like, you know, the minimal helmet and all that, which is a really cool look. I really, I really like it. Um. But no, I did the, I did the full face thing. That's good, man. That's good. So anyways, my beard's hanging down past it. And then whenever I take my helmet off, you see the crease where the helmet starts. And then there's like this, this, the the rest of my beard is like this fray. It looks like a, like a, almost like a, like a rocket taken off, you know, at the bottom, (laughs) like all the clouds. And then it's like straight from my chin up to my face. And I was like, dude, I can't be walking around looking like this, man. Bro, like rocket man (laughs) coming in the store. So it had to go. It had to go. 
That's kind of cool, though, when you unpack that, like when when you really factor in, you know, the struggle of vanity to our decisions in life. It's like, okay, do I go with the helmet that looks cool or do I go with protecting my face? (laughs) (laughs) It was like, I don't know. This is this is tough. It's very tough. tough. It's super tough, tough, man. I could lose my face if I use this helmet, but it's going to look better when I'm going down the road. Among people who don't know me. <laughs> and people are like, you know, they're probably wondering, hey, when you guys get together and you guys hang out and, and go on, you know, large collective trips or whatever, hit yeah. the road. Uh, you guys probably like get into the weeds and talk about really like deep stuff. And it's like, no, nah, we just talk about real vain stuff like this. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of sprinkled with like really cool in-depth conversations mixed with arguments about what qualifies as barbecue and what does not. Yeah. And well, you're the which, expert on that. You know, which motorcycles, you know, actually count on the road, <laughs> which ones don't. And uh, LeBron versus Jordan, yes. uh, which is an easy one, dude. I mean, come on, 6-0 and in the finals. Yeah, MJ. Yeah, you we know. don't need to get into all that. We've Enough covered said. that at, at length for our, our stupid friends. Enough said. But today would be a whole different ball game, man. Today would be the day that we kick off a journey into something that's definitely going to be pretty in depth and in the weeds, bro. Yeah, so man. This is today is kind of like a long time, long time coming. We've we've wanted to do we've wanted to do this for quite a while. I feel like we've been prepping for this for a while, and um, here we are. We're embarking on a journey as we uh, hmm. study through, write. And podcast through the parables of Jesus. Dude, bro. How excited are you? Scale of one to 10. I'm just going to bring back an old slow down podcast cheer. That just, this is what comes to my mind, dude. As soon as I hear we're going to dive into the parables, it goes something like this. I'm trying to think if I still have that (laughs) horn on my phone. That horn's amazing. Oh, I have it right here. Yeah, Like in my head, I feel like Ric Flair. 1988 you know walking out on stage man wwf like this i feel like you know burnt riddles and smoky in the band of dude doing donuts in a 70s trans am right in front of the cops what the it's heck, uh dude i'm trying to hit my uh trying to hit my horn it's not well, don't worry don't worry i already yeah man that's it bro i, I am take it uh, off i had to take it off vibrate i'm stoked bottom line can't come up with a better word than that i am stoked And I think the reason why I'm stoked is because of what I found in the parables, man, you know, seeing the parables, uh, you know, as a, as a new believer, which for me came as an adult, for those who who are listening in, who don't know that about my story, I'm Russ, by the way, (laughs) Uh, if you're, if you're new to this podcast, I'm here with my co-host Tony, but yeah, you know, seeing those through that lens, man, and then later on, like Bible college seminary, and then, you know, pastoring in churches for a number of years and teaching the parables. And dude, I'm like 14 years into the game before I actually got a glimpse, I feel like, of what Jesus is saying in them. Mm. And it, I think uh, a lot of that, man, just ties to what we were just talking about in our last podcast about just the religious world and this religious nature in all of us and this pursuit and desire for control, we can't help but see and interpret almost anything and everything um, as something that we're supposed to manage to bring about the progress and performance that's needed. And um, as much as I would say that I, I didn't feel that way, you know, I later found that I did. And 
I would teach these parables, man. And people would give me like this, you know, come to, you know, as we talked about before, they would come to meet you afterwards. Like, man, that was so good. You know, thanks for that insight. I wish, you know, I wish my brother-in-law was here to hear that, man. He could really, he could really use some handles, man, to, to, to better understand God and, and get his life on track. Not realizing until years later, like, oh, I'm not teaching these the way Jesus did. Because when yeah. you teach, when you say what Jesus is saying, um, the, the religious world, bro, right, left and middle will be up in arms, man. Um, it's, yeah. uh, it's a different game. Yeah, man. I mean, I think I'm the same way. Um, you know, we have, um, <clears throat> I almost want to like share this, like after we go through the parables, um, just right. to give people like a glimpse of what we're saying, but, um, you know, my, my journey in Jesus's words, I used to be just like a heavy Paul dude, man, you know, and I'm not trying to pit Paul and Jesus, obviously, you know, but right. I didn't almost, I almost didn't really know what to do with the gospels just cause I loved like, you know, real heavy theology and, and a lot of like Paul's words and stuff like that. And like diving into the parables the last five, six years um, and uh, getting introduced to some different, different sources, some, some different kind of like in, interpretive lenses. It's been really awesome, man. And like, it's unlocked a whole world in the parables for me that is just uh, like very beautifully challenging, um, mm. frustratingly, like exciting, you know, like journeying through them. And, um, they'll, they'll, they'll challenge you and they'll shut your mouth and bring a humility to your heart while making it simultaneously want to like, just jump out of your chest with joy. Yeah. And I can't, I can't yeah. wait to really just dive in. And even the, the prep we've done for the one we're going to do today. Um, I'm just, I'm just excited to share. So I say we, we jump in, let's do it. Let's do do it. you want to talk about just parables in general? Well, I, I mean, I think we There's could give a little like, you know, their yeah. uh, um, earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. Yeah. Yeah. Let's give it a, just a little preface, man, to where we're going. I don't want to sure. give away everything because there's just so much to see and that God just reveals about about himself through these stories as we're going to, you know, as we're going to see in the oncoming weeks. Um, but uh, yeah, a little preface. One, as you already brought up, dude, a lot of people think, oh, yeah, parables, man, they're they're earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. You know, they they help you. They offer you these handles to better understand like God and life and and like what to do and not to do, man, to, you know, to achieve ABC. Um, but then further study, dude, into these things, it's like, uh, that doesn't seem to be the case, man. Hmm. Yeah, like um, just going off of that phrase, you know, that real simple um, little phraseology, you know, yeah. earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. It reminded me of uh, something Chad Bird wrote in an intro to another book on the parables. And I love what he says. Um, shout out to Chad Bird, 1517, really quick. Um, but he says this, we often hear parables defined as earthly stories with a heavenly meaning, but that's not only too simplistic, it's misleading. To begin with, the parables are not your predictable earthly story where good guys finish first, bad guys finish last, and the dashing hero rides off into the sunset with the beauty queen <laughs> smiling beside him. Very often in the parables of Jesus, the good guy doesn't get the girl. He gets the shaft. The man with mm -hmm. the black hat receives a standing ovation, and the unwashed riffraff of society is scooped up from the gutter and plopped down at the head of a king's table with a T-bone steak and a glass of Merlot. These may be earthly stories, but they read more like immorality tales. Dude. If that's not enough to like wet, wet, <laughs> wet, wet, the, wet the appetite for diving in here, um, yeah, expect expect your 
um, expect your understanding of the parables to be challenged. If you're the kind of person that hasn't really like studied the Bible, but you've been diving into Larkcast and and tracking with us, this is going to feel a little bit more like, you know, we're going to be getting into the text. It'd be good to just get a copy of the scriptures or get an app on your, on your phone uh, to just read along and just kind of see where we're, we're coming from. Um, we're going to try our best to avoid the lark cast to be turning into Bible study time with Russ and Tony. Yeah. Yeah. It's not going to be that, <laughs> but it's, we're definitely going to be diving into Jesus's words. Yeah. And um, something I would just throw in there is one thing that I would just invite people to understand is like, like you said, it's going to bring an unsatisfactoriness, right? It's like Capen said to what it is that you think you understand. And so if you have experience in the church, if you've been involved in following after Jesus for years, even if you're in church leadership and you feel like, man, I got this, uh, I'm, I'm going to encourage you to, in a sense, like just let go of so much you've held on to, not to throw it away or discount it, like, like as if like we're right and you're wrong, as much as I'm just inviting you to maybe just look at this thing with, with an open hand. Sure. Um, to pull back and go, okay, there is a point here when Jesus teaches in parables, there's an uprising uh, because at their core, when you start to look at them, and this is just something that might be a nugget for everybody. One, I would say it's going to be really cool to start to see in the stories who, which character is actually Jesus versus which character is us. Yeah. Right. Cause we constantly write ourselves into the parables as the main character. Yeah. Which as you just read from Chad birds, right. Take on the parables really helps, you know, go, wait a second. That's not the case here. And two, I would just say, know that these are stories about what God's like. They're not, they don't seem to be roadmaps to a better me and you. Yeah. They seem to be nothing other than stories about what God is like. Right. Um, Yeah. The beauty of the parables, they're not true because they're practical. In fact, they're very impractical. We're going to see that right away. They're the opposite of what we're often told. Yes. Yeah. They're definitely not like if you try to live and build your life on the ethics found in the parables, you will quickly find yourself fired out of business and hit with lawsuits. Yes. Yes. And Um, maligned. Yeah. Yeah, Fathers. Fathers who throw parties for wayward kids are rightly rebuked, right? Shepherds who leave their sheep to go look for one lost one lose their business. Business owners who, man, you just keep going, right? Yeah. And we've we've alluded to the parables and if you've gone through Reclaim, which, you know, shout out to Reclaim. I don't know why I just gave a shout out to a book. Usually give shout out to people. That's kind of weird. But What's even more weird is we wrote it. So who are shout you giving a shout out to? <laughs> I say the dumbest crap sometimes. <laughs> but you just have to laugh. You just have to laugh. If you've committed to like being a you know a public person or speaking yeah. for a living, like you just you gotta own it. But um, no, if if you've gone through reclaim, which is the book that that you and I wrote together, a new uh, revision of it is coming out very very soon. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we got into a few parables in that book. Yeah. And so you've heard us, you know, kind of talk about, um, the parables before. Another thing I would say about the parables is if you, if you have a, a broad lens through which to view the parables, let it be the cross of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. Let it yeah. be death and resurrection. Let it be. It is finished. 
And when you read the Bible through that lens and the parables in particular, knowing what Jesus is going to do, he is going to once and for all in his life, death, and resurrection, make all things right and reconcile the cosmos. And that the work of God, John six is for all of us to believe in whom the father has set. That is the work of God. That is the will of God. When you see it through that lens, it's going to help you. It's going to help you grab onto what Jesus is really trying to do in these moments. Good word, man. Really good word. Cause a lot of us will read the parables, right? And we get to the end. We're like, okay, so what are we supposed to go do and not do? <laughs> right. right. And meanwhile, we forget that Jesus himself, when he was pressed on like, well, what is the will of God? God, the son looks at humanity and says, well, the will of God is that you believe that you trust in the one in whom he sent. Yeah. Cause that's your only hope, man, is the one who can actually reconcile all things back to himself. So Love that, dude. Great interpretive key. So stories about what God is like and man, there, there, there's so much here, but dude, let's dive in head first. This yeah, lead us, man. Where are we going? So um, my thought, man, is we're going to we're going to get going here in Mark chapter four. Um, so Mark chapter four, New Testament. If you're new to this game, uh, Luke eight would be another place that you can definitely see the same story that Jesus tells. And it seems to be the first story, the first parable that Jesus tells that's like in story form. So it's not like a little quick line about something. It's an actual story. Right. And I think it's kind of cool to just sort of note that up until now, people have only been grabbing onto Jesus in a way that fits the perception they have of this wonder working Messiah that they were told is coming. Yeah. Right. And so Jesus makes a shift. If I feel like right here in his approach to his ministry of unpacking, like who he is and why he came and what he's here to accomplish. Um, and it's almost like there's this thought. It seems like a run through Jesus's mind where he's like, listen, um, it seems like I've been doing some of these miracles and talking about the kingdom of God and everyone around me is completely misunderstanding who God is and who they are and what their actual need is. And so since they've misunderstood me so far, I might as well start unpacking some stories that show just how different the kingdom of God is to their expectations. Hmm. And it's, it's like from here on, Jesus makes this major shift in his ministry and his approach to what he's doing. And he starts teaching and talking about, you know, God and life through parables. Right. And we see the first one here in Mark four, where Jesus basically like it's almost kind of like he's hanging out you know i'm saying with some people and there's there there's like the disciples the people that are closest to him that are that are following after him they're there and other people are there and some religious people around and he says that he just begins to teach beside the sea right this would be like a gathering place man so just it could literally be like you're downtown right or a market on saturday think 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 through maybe that lens and and jesus goes right into this story so a very large crowd was gathered around him. And, uh, and so while he's sitting there, he begins to you know, look around, teaching many things he says in parables. And, and he says to them, listen, you know, a sower went out to sow and he sowed some seed that fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Another seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched and said it had no root, it withered away. Other seed, Jesus says in verse seven, fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain and other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30 fold and 60 fold and a hundred fold. And he looks at everybody and he says, Hey, he who has ears, let him hear. Right? So 
you could kind of imagine the disciples like this is a shift, right? Like he's he's just sort of like moved into this world and he just he's just starting to teach this way. Yeah. And he just tells this story like kind of out of like thin air, man, um, where he says, like, hey, this is this is it. And when he was done, verse 10 says that those around him, right, with the 12, meaning like the disciples, those closest to Jesus, asked him about the parables. And they said that, you know, like they're, they're basically saying like, hey, uh, Jesus, just out of curiosity, <laughs> you know, like what, what, what does this mean? What right? the heck? <laughs> what, what, what are you talking about? I have, they have zero clue as to what he's saying, why he's saying it. Uh, and so Jesus says to them, he says, to you has been given the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see, but not perceive and may indeed hear, but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. I'll just stop there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> man. I think a couple of things to keep in mind are, you know, we have the benefit of reading the explanation Right. And so we're kind of like, well, what the heck? Like, why are the like, why are these disciples like so, so dull? Mm -hmm. And, you know, you you tend to approach the scriptures or or moments like this with um, with a lack of humility because, you know, like a cross is looming, you know, a resurrection is looming. But I'm here to tell you, man, a cross and resurrection was not in the cards for anybody when it came to the Messiah. That was not in the cards. Yeah. In fact, anytime Jesus talks about it. In the, the famous one is Peter after he says, oh, he confesses Jesus as the son of God who came from heaven. You're the Christ, right? Son of God. And um, afterwards, Jesus is like, yeah, I got to go to Jerusalem and, and suffer at the hands of the high priests and the leaders. And Peter's like, uh, no, like, God forbid, that's not going to happen. <laughs> you know, like yeah. messiahs don't die in their minds. So to think like, oh, these guys should have known or they were closest and they should have been clued in and they were right in step with Jesus on who God is and what God was doing in and through Jesus in the world. It's just not not the case. Like we would have been just as dull as what I'm as what I'm getting at. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, no different than like, let's say Jesus, the promised Messiah in the Old Testament hasn't came yet. Right. Think about like what's going on in our world right now. Think about all the things that people are up in arms about, bothered by. Um, at odds with each other, divided over, right? The hostility, the hatred that's going on right now. You can amplify that, right? And you can amplify the legal injustice through the roof to anything any of us have ever seen in our lifetimes today. That's Jesus's day and time, man. And so just like right now, if if someone came along, you know, know, the promised Messiah, we would all have these expectations on what he was here to do and how he was going to do it to make the world straighten up and fly right, man. Yeah, there's no global board somewhere like committing Rome of war crimes, you know, like convicting them like there's there's none of that going on. None of it. We would expect, okay, dude, you finally came like, man, fix it all. Yeah, get the show on the road so here, that right? I can see it. Punish, get rid of, right? Eradicate this, you know, and these people over here and that, whatever camp, right, that you're in. Of course, that, you know, those people, <laughs> those, thems, right, are going to change. But yeah, I, I would agree with you. I don't think the cross, the death and resurrection of a Messiah for the reconciliation of all things is in, is in their minds. So when Jesus is moving away from miracles and just starts telling these stories, they're, they're, all, they're all scratching their head. In verse 10, though, after Jesus tells this story, it says that he, that he responds, right? Because they're going, what? Like, he looks at him and says, to you, as in 
the disciples, the insiders, all right? The people that are in Jesus's like IG story. Right? He says to you, it has been given the secrets, all right? The word there meaning like the hidden unobservable workings, all right? To the kingdom. Jesus is to you, guys. It's the secrets of the kingdom have been given. But for those outside, everything is in parables. And I think that this statement had to have frustrated them to no end. Because these are the guys that have been with him and they feel like, like they've got this. We're on the right team, the winning team. We're supposed to know what you're talking about. And yet you just told a parable and we're going, dude, I have what? What? Hmm. They have no idea what he's talking about. And so you can kind of imagine like the scene there, right? Where everybody's sort of like, like frustrated, but at the same time, like feeling like they should know what he's talking about. And yet they're a little bit like they're saying that they don't. But then when he looks at him and says, well, to you, it's been given the secrets. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah. I know. I mean, I yeah, know he's telling them, hey, you have the, you have the key. You have the secret. <laughs> Of course, Jesus. I was I was just asking for I was just asking for Peter over here, man. I I knew that he was a he was, he was a little too scared. I mean, to speak I know up. what you mean, but <laughs> I feel like that's the scene when Jesus says this. But it's like contrary to these views of God that have been handed down to us through religion. Jesus isn't saying the insiders are those who have done the work needed to arrive in their thinking, right? And outsiders who are getting the parables. Yeah, man, they're just unwilling, arrogant, or, you know, or too lazy to really grab on. That's not what he's saying. Jesus is saying that those who are on the outside are, this is going to sound crazy, they're outside. And for those who are on the inside, yeah, they're just inside. In other words, if you're sitting at the table with Jesus, then you are inside. You're learning from him. You're listening to him. You're present with him, meaning you have been given the secrets to the kingdom of God because the secret is sitting right in front of you, yeah. talking to you. Right. There's nowhere to look or nothing to see beyond Jesus. Mm -hmm. But if you are outside holding Jesus at arm's length, like the religious people did, okay, and you're trying to piece everything together that he's saying with your intellect so you can make a decision about who Jesus really is and if he's worth following, well, your frustration is going to lead to a place where you walked away. Okay. You've given up. You've said, man, scratch this. Well, in your scratch this, I can't fully grasp the kingdom of God. Well, guess what? You're outside. Hmm. And I, I love that because Jesus is making this like distinction here. He's saying that it's not about whether or not you get it or don't get it. Okay. Like the way we think in our conditional society, it's about whether or not you sit or leave. That's it, man. All it's have how been invited. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Whenever it, what's helpful to me is whenever you see kingdom, just think King. Mm. And so like, we're talking about this idea of like the secret of the kingdom. Yeah. Like all, like all the, like Jesus has in his back pocket, like his grandma's like sweet, like biscuit recipe <laughs> or something. You know what I'm saying? Like, Dude, like even this secret exists outside of him and he has it and he's about to pass it on. Yeah. No, the secret to the kingdom is sitting right in front of you. Yeah. And you have it because you're sitting right here with me. Yes. Yeah. And it's like he's letting them know you have this thing and you don't even know you have it because you yeah. don't even know who I am yet. Yep. And you don't even really know how this kingdom 
operates. Yeah. You can't see it from outside. You can only see it from within the life of Christ. That's why he's the secret. He's the key. And uh, yeah, if you've chosen, if you've had even just a mustard seed, right? As Jesus talked about, as in like the tiniest seed, if you've had faith, even just the size of a mustard seed to come and sit, well, then you're inside and you have the secret to the kingdom of God right here in front of you. It's not whether or not you get it or don't get it. It's whether or not you sit or you leave. Or you That's leave. the distinction that he makes between insiders and outsiders. Yeah, and Dude, I think I, that, I love that. Yeah, and I think it, like once we dive into the particulars here of the parable of the soils, yeah. the context in Mark really lends itself to that as well. Because I'll just say this: I used to th- I used to teach this parable all the time. And the main here were the main points: a sower went out to sow. Mm. The church is the sower spreading the gospel, right? In fact, I laughed out loud. I opened up an old Bible of mine and on the bottom I have, I have notes and it was like, there it is. A sower went out to sow. Like, here we go. Here's us. Like we're the church. We're the ones who know the news, like let's spread it. Right. So that was a point. And then the other point is what is real faith and what's not faith. Mm. So the whole point is not only so like we're the point of it the entire way yeah what we are doing or not doing to spread this you know message and do you really are you truly in or are you true or are you out Mm. that was the main point of this whole thing so that's how you would like see it and teach it like oh yeah yeah no i'm i'm with you dude and what's crazy is people will line up bro and to hear this the line will stretch around the building. You know, if I found anything in ministry over the years is if you provide what humanity in its selfish nature, right? Self-reliance, independent pursuit of progress wants, dude, you can pack a stadium, man, right? When you start offering handles, but when you start telling stories of what God's like and the invitation is an invitation to faith, right? Versus a handle to make things happen. Like, if you're at the end of your virtuous rope, man, you'll embrace that with joy and begin to see life in and through the lens of the king, the kingdom. But if you're not at the end of your virtuous rope, you, know, you, you will, this will frustrate you to no end, man. So like in verse 12, you know, right after Jesus you know, says what we were just talking about, Jesus goes on and says that he does this. So that may indeed, so that you may indeed see, right? In other words, like he says, I'm, I'm telling these parables in these parables for those outside so that then indeed they, they may see, but not perceive, he says in verse 12, and that they may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. It's like, it's this little point where Jesus justifies his use of parables. He's, he's kind of declaring, this is why I'm shifting and starting to teach and point to something through these stories. And, and he does it by quoting the, the, the prophet Isaiah from long, long before, you know, his arrival in human flesh. And it's, it's like this, this verse um, where Jesus is almost kind of like in this head shaking moment. You know what I mean? He's like, he's like literally like shaking his head. He's looking at this, at, at these people and he's reflecting on the arrogance and the stubbornness that's found in humanity. And Jesus seems to think, you know what? Isaiah was right all along. People will do anything to not have to let go of the lies that offer them a sense of control. Yeah, That's why in- you guys are having such a hard time seeing this. And even in that, even in that little exchange he has with them, you see how Jesus wields the tool of frustration and tension. Because when Jesus shows up, those who think they're in actually find themselves out. And those who have historically (laughs) been out find themselves sitting right with the key of David, like the king of Mm. kings. 
like the king of the kingdom. You know what I'm saying? Like, and these are the people that historically have no place in the kingdom at all. And so in scene, they might not see. Why do you do this? Well, in scene, they might not see Mm -hmm. like it like these parables are actually going to expose that you're actually blind. And those who have been told their whole lives because of maybe the occupation they've chose or the decision that they've made, that they're actually blind, actually Mm -hmm. find themselves seen and getting a glimpse of who I am and who my dad is. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to tell these stories that help you realize how little you know about what it is you think you understand. Yeah. it's And I love that point that you brought him in, like the key of David, right? That the Old Testament, right? Like through David, you know what I'm saying? This Messiah through his line would come. Such a great point, man, to like this story that God's been telling from long, long, long ago, starting back in what's recorded in Genesis. It's all been pointing, man to this. And isn't it crazy dude, when you think about like that, the distinction you just brought up, like who's in and who's out? Cause I'm finding like even today in conversations with people, once we get to this point in a conversation, things start coming out like, yeah, man, like Jesus is like, he said he came to like set the poor, like for the poor, man, for the poor dude, the oppressed, you know, like, like he's for them, man. Like these people have been on the outside and he's all for them. And all these people over here that have any means, right. That have always been a part, like they're the ones that are getting pushed out and starting to realize like what the kingdom of God's really like. And like right there, dude, you'll, you'll kind of watch like that deceptive drug of religious moralism creep in. you like, you'll start to grab onto something and you think you're perceiving it rightly, but then it's like, well, wait a minute. I don't know if you know this dude, but the people that are with Jesus, they're not just people who don't have financial means. There's a guy named Matthew there. Yeah. He's loaded. He's a tax collector. There's a crazy, like, like, like fanatic, right? Like, like political, like fanatic dude that's with him. Yeah. Simon the Zealot. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and all, I mean, mean, if he was around today, he'd be a domestic terrorist. Exactly. You got Peter. He's, um, you know, he's a business owner. He's got people that are working for him in his fishing business. He's married, probably doing okay. And then how about when Jesus willingly invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. Like this filthy rich playboy dude who's done nothing but make money off the oppression of others. In front of everybody. Yeah, but it has this desire to know about Jesus. And so Jesus openly in front of everyone says, dude, you belong and I'm coming to your house today, Mm -hmm. right? So I'm just trying to point out like it's this inside and outside. It's not a financial thing, dude. It's not an age thing. It's not a ethnicity thing. It's, It's not a political thing. Yeah, I think like if you're listening in and and you're familiar with this passage, you have to ask yourself, um, like, who comes to mind when you think of good soil mentioned Mm -hmm. here? Who comes to mind when you think of beaten down hard path? Like the path Jesus Mm -hmm. mentions is like a walkway. If you've ever seen a walkway in like the woods, you'll see it's like it's beaten down, right? A bunch of feet have been passing through it. Who comes to mind when you think of a beaten down hard path or a hardened heart? Who comes to mind when you think of rocky soil? I think most, if honest, would say the good soil. Those are the ones who are spiritual. They're godly. They're in church. They're progressing. They're fruit bearing types. They're leaders, right? If you're sitting in a church hearing this sermon, you're like, this is me, dude. I'm good soil. I'm here in church. Like I'm <laughs> like, I woke up this morning and I've, I've come to like hear this, this pastor I'm in, right? Yeah, dude. I even and showed re- up early to greet. <laughs> <laughs> and reversely, we would say that the hard and rocky soils are the non-spiritual, ungodly, law-breaking types. They're the ones who didn't wake up today. They're the ones who didn't sign up for small group. They're the ones who don't <laughs> give. You know, like right, these are the ones like they're 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 hard-hearted. 
Yeah, hey. they're the ones, if you're in one camp, it's the the poor who never get it together and make their way in society. And if you're in another camp, it's no, it's the people who have means or it's the people who vote right or the people who vote left or you know what the damn it, the problem in this world are libertarians. They keep... <laughs> They keep talking that they keep talking that 8%. Pretty, pretty chill. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like, yeah, no, it's I get, so I get easy to throw yourself into the camp of good soil, and that person yeah. right, is the hard soil. But so what what I'm saying is like the surprise, like I said earlier, the surprising discovery in the New Testament is that the types you would typically label as good soil end up being the hardened path. And those yeah. who you typically label as rocky or weedy or hard. Are they end up being those who receive the word, as in they receive Jesus Himself and they bear some mm-hmm. cool fruit? And so, just as a, like an immediate context here in Mark, we're in Mark chapter four, but in Mark two thirteen to seventeen, Matthew the tax collector joins in with Jesus. Yeah, like he, like he, like Jesus says, "Hey, follow me," and he just starts. He folds into just Jesus where he's going, the conversations he's getting into. He begins literally following them, and then in yeah. Mark three. Jesus are, is already noticing the hardness of heart found in the Pharisees. And by verse 22 of Mark 3, they're accusing Jesus of being demon-possessed and doing miracles in Satan's name. So the stereotypical, <laughs> right, hard heart, the hard path, the tax yeah. collector, the dude who's betrayed his, his nation, the guy who goes to work for Rome, he's exploiting people, right? And getting loaded doing it. The stereotypical hard path joins in with Jesus. Great point. And then the stereotypical good soul is the hardened heart saying he's demon possessed. Yes. So just to summarize that, the guy that we're all looking at saying doesn't count, won't qualify, he's an outsider, doesn't get it, okay, is the one who actually represents the good soil that receives the word, that receives Jesus. Mm Mm-hmm. And the religious do-gooder with the Pharisees think right, Sadducees think left. You know what I mean? Like this whole religion thing as we've been unpacking. It's not a right-wing thing. It's also a left-wing thing. It's a it's an everything thing, in which case we're putting our hope in something other than the only one who offers hope. These people that we're looking at as the upstanding got it together turn out to be the hard soil that yep. refuse the word. Dude, that's a you that's just a see great, like Mark's great, context great and how he does it is like, okay, here's Matthew. That's a shock. If you're like a first century person who like knows a little bit about what's happening in the world at that time. That's not the guy that's supposed to be following Jesus. <laughs> Wait, surely Jesus went to a local synagogue and handpicked a bunch of these like young, bright, like theologues, right? Who are dialing in on Torah and no, um, dude, he got know, all the all ones that. that were like last picked in kickball. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you just see like right off the bat. And um, I love how it, it starts off and it's like a sower went out to sow. And typically, again, like we're putting ourselves at the center there. But when you look at what's happening um, in and through like the big picture, it's yeah. like, dude, no, God is sending his son into the world. And Which this is- son, this this word, as he's referred to as later on, like John one calls him the word. Mm. Right. And there's a bunch of theology and a bunch of stuff there. We, we don't really need to get into that right now. But when you see word. We would normally think like, oh, I'm just going to like share this like presentation of this thing or whatever. No, it's the the word is like literally the one who came to make the father known. Yeah. And now that you've said that, man, we just got to go there. We just got to go there. So if you're in the scene now, like in your mind, you're listening in right now, the, the people who aren't supposed to be following Jesus actually turn out to be the good soil that are that have jumped in to follow Jesus. And the people that are supposed to be recognizing the Messiah and pointing everyone else to the the one who was promised to come are the hard soil 
that have completely missed him. Yep. And that's the scene that we have here. And so Jesus tells a story, right? Then he says those few things that we just unpacked in verses 11 and 12. But then in verse 13, Jesus goes, man, how are you, how are you guys missing this? Listen. And then he explains what he means by this parable that, that they're scratching their heads about. And Jesus says this in verse 14, he says, the sower sows the word, right? So as you just referenced, right? The sower goes out and sows. Jesus then later on says, listen, guys, the sower, yeah, he sows the word. Key point here. And then he goes on and he unpacks what we've been talking about, like these different soils receiving the word and where it, get, and where it bears fruit and where it gets choked out. And of course, you know, in verse 20, he he summarizes and says, listen, those, but those that were stoned on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30 fold and 60 fold and a hundred fold. Okay. But I love that little hint, man, that you just dropped a minute ago about, you know, when he says the sower sows the word, that's like a ding, 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 ding. That took me 14 years to hear the ding, 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 ding. ding. <laughs> I didn't understand what he was getting at there. But as you've already said, man, like, the word means something here. Yeah. I mean, the father's literally sowing the son in the world. Like he sent him. Yeah. And if you want to know what it looks like for the sower to sow the word, all you have to do is look back at that Matthew scene in, um, I think it's three or two, two, 13 to 17. And you're like, well, why is this sower throwing seed right on a hardened path? It seems like a pretty like silly place to be throwing seed. And if like you're a reader, like throwing it everywhere, basically. Yeah, I want I want I want to come back to that really quick, but it's like if you want to know what it looks like to sow the word, all you have to do is look back at Mark 2, 13 to 17, where Jesus literally is reclining at table in Matthew's house with many tax collectors and sinners who were also reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Mm. Jesus is going into the not so nice places of the world, the places yeah. where you think the word wouldn't be, the places where you think fruit wouldn't be found. And you see this sower went out to sow and he's throwing seed everywhere. He's yeah. tossing it around like he has an endless supply of seed. We read <laughs> yeah. that. We read that and we're like, oh yeah, a sower went out to sow. Stuff's landing on the path. Stuff's landing on the rocks. Stuff's landing on the weeds. And we don't think to ourselves, oh, this is odd. This is not like the behavior of a good farmer. Right. And, and I wouldn't even have thought about that because I'm so removed from all this stuff. But there's a couple of things. One is. Did you know, dude, that the commercial sale of seed, it wasn't even a thing, dude, till the like middle of the 19th century where you can just straight up like buy bulk seed. Right. Like prior to that, it was like harvesting of like your own seed. Like seed was like a precious commodity. Precious. Yeah. And so we have these, um, these farmers in our community, Nash and Renee, they do a CSA type of farming, right? It's, um, what, what it's a crop sharing, no community supported agriculture. Okay. And um, it's basically like they grow for people and they have these subscriptions. They have a really small farm. And dude, I've seen them out there and how they lay seed. Every seed, they put one seed in a one particular place. Yeah. Right. Every seed has a place that they're placed individually, slowly, specifically in the appropriate place. And yeah. dude, he's like always talking about like how his seed budget is like, it's expensive, man. Even in an age where they're growing these seeds in laboratories and, you know, in, in these controlled environments and all that. And so you see the sower, he's just literally like tossing freaking seed, like everywhere. And you're just like, dude, you're act like you just have an endless supply. You're just liberally and carelessly tossing seed around. Like you do not care. 
Yeah. So everyone who would know anything about agriculture would come along and business, by the way, finances would come along and see this and go, uh, dude, you need to align all of your efforts over here to this field at this time of year. Okay. After this moon to bring about what it is that you're after. But dude, you're, right. you're like throwing it there, but you're throwing it literally in the middle of the road. You're, you're throwing it over here in this field of weeds. If you have, you have to see the over, ridiculousness of this over here is cliffs that look like the grand Canyon where nothing like this will ever grow. And yet you're just throwing it out there as well. Like uh, this, this doesn't like make any sense. This goes back to Chad bird's point where it's the guy you know, the good guy gets the shaft, the yeah. black, the bad guy gets the standing ovation. The farmer is doing something so earthly ridiculous yeah. with this, with the sowing of the seed. Like you have to see this, which for me is a really cool point to tie in all this is one of the things that you're taught in like studying the scriptures is right. Naturally you interpret scripture with scripture. Um, because you can, you know, cherry pick verses out of the Bible and just about make any case you want to make. You know, I remember when I was in Bible college, a professor was like, look right here. Um, Judas was a disciple of Jesus. Flipped over another verse. Judas hung himself. Flipped over to another verse. Jesus said, go and do likewise. <laughs> right. Like that's very easy to make those cases. So we always want to interpret, right, the scriptures with scripture. And so what's cool, man, is when you start to see what you're bringing up, dude, about the ridiculousness of this story, when you, when you start to see it through how, like how we think the world operates, you go, oh, maybe it's not us that's sowing the seed here in the story the way we often think. Or as you had mentioned earlier in a podcast about teaching that the church is the one that's got this thing called the word, the Bible, and we're going on all these mission trips, man, to like sow the word, right? The seed. Where, you know, where it needs to happen and see like what's, what's good soil and what will come of it. And we're doing our best, right? Are we not trained in every conference under the sun right now to, to recognize where the bad soil is and the rocky soil and just move on, man. You got to move on from that. You got to find the good soil. Hey, just like, just quickly label people. Yeah. It's weedy soil. Weedy soil, man. Nah, that dude, man, he's that's rocky, bro. You just got to drop that man. Move on. And we use verses like this to justify it, yet it makes zero sense in relation to what Jesus is actually saying. Because Jesus, when he explains the parable, says the sower, and he's referring to the Father, God the Father, sows the word. The seed is the word. Mm -hmm. Jesus himself says this. Well, when we go to the scriptures, what where do we what what is the word? And then it's like, oh man, in our two thousand years removed from this scene, we think the word is everybody walking around with a Bible in their hand. Where in Jesus's day you would go, wait a second, the book of John chapter one, in the beginning, it says was the word and the word was with God and the word ready for this was God and all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. You mean like rocky soil, weedy soil hasn't overcome the word, bingo, bingo, dude. Verse 14, John chapter one, right where I'm reading from. And the word that just said was God, yeah, became flesh, it says, and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth, dude. God, the father, what Jesus is showing us in his parable, God has chosen to sow the seed throughout every 
nook and cranny of this world. Every kind of soil you can imagine, every aspect of this world, every person has been sown by the father. And what he sown was his son, mm-hmm. who is the word. Dude, that's a, that's a game changer, man. He's everywhere. He's in all places. There's not a square inch where he has not declared mine over it. There's not a square inch. There's not a there's not a single atom, dude, that he hasn't spoke into existence. There's not a single person who wasn't included in his death and resurrection. When it says for God so loved the world, all Mm. types of soils are included in that. And this word, man, is it's right under our nose and he has come in such a way uh, and God has given his son in such a way, similar to a sower who from an earthly perspective looks like he's carelessly, liberally, and ridiculously just spreading this thing everywhere Yeah, from an earthly perspective. You can almost say in a reckless way. Ooh, wait a second. You mean like like that, like the way Jesus described the father, like waste in the parable? About the uh, about the prodigal father who had two sons that we talked about in episode two. Yeah, you'd yeah. think throwing a throwing seed instead of just like you know not carefully placing it where it belongs, where it's going to have the best right return, mm-hmm. the best chance to grow. You could you could say that that's wasteful. Yeah, dude, such a good point. You know, but think about think about all the ministry and all the mission trips, man, that have happened. You know, under the banner of church, like we're doing this. Uh, yeah, as we're <laughs> we're doing this, we've got this operation that we're in charge of, and we're out deciding who's in and who's out, and what's good soil and what's not, and where to spend time, and we're just to ignore and move on. And all the while, dude, the, when Jesus describes the kingdom, he describes it as the presence of the son, the king, in every square inch of the universe. He's the maker of all things, the sustainer of all things, the reconciler of all things, who's been sown already in and through everything by the work of someone else. So when we show up, dude, we're not showing up and bringing the word somewhere where it's not. We're showing up where the word's already present. Yeah, We're not showing up where God hasn't been yet in hopes that something will happen. We're showing up in a place where he was already there waiting for us. He's everywhere, man. Yeah. By his doing. Sounds like a, sounds pretty gracious to me, man. Yeah, man. When you see it in this way and it's like, yeah, dude, like when he gets into the explanation, it's like, yeah, he's getting into the weeds, no no pun intended, a little bit on how people are receiving this, this word. Right. Um, And you really start to see that play out in the gospels as this son is sown. And as this son and this word is beginning to talk, beginning to describe what God is like, beginning to sit down and recline with people to put himself in the midst of certain people. Um, You're starting, you're starting to see how people begin to react to that. And it's funny to watch again. I don't mean to repeat this, but the stereotypical, what would be labeled socially as the good soil actually has the, the, the hardest of hearts. Yeah. And those places that would be stereotypically labeled as weedy, rocky, and hardened are the ones who find themselves at table leaning in mm-hmm. and that lean in the lean in to the person yep. known as Jesus, the son of God, right? The uncreated one, the son from eternity past the mystery that is Christ who's finally come and made himself flesh. <clears throat> They're pressing into the secret, yeah. the secret of the kingdom, 
It's the king himself present right in their midst around a fire, eating some fish, right? Being asked a question. Will you sit? Will you go? Yep. And it's how you respond to that and that alone. That's that. That's in correlation to what Jesus says is who's on the inside mm-hmm. and who's chosen, who's chosen to exclude themselves and be on the outside. It's a, uh, there's, there's some really cool verses right after this explanation of Jesus on this parable, man, where for me was a, like a, like a lightning rod aha moment in my own journey of just seeing what, what God has declared about himself and what life looks like in him. I want to unpack it right now, but I'm like, save you know it what? For last call. We're going to save it for last call. Cause I know there's going to be some questions, man, that come in from people that we'll be able to answer. Uh, but I do want to close out with just with this little quick, quick little just story. I had a, a guy that used to work with me in youth ministry for years, years and years and years ago that uh, we've kind of reconnected again. And he was just laughing and sent me a message the other day saying, man, you remember this one dude, his name was Bob. And uh, we'll just call the other guy, Mike, these two older guys that were like key elders in our church. And they were just like constantly, man, giving us a fit with everything we try to do in like student ministry. <laughs> like they wouldn't let us like paint the room. They wouldn't let us bring in couches, dude. It was like every trip we tried to do, there was some like, you know, someone some tried to give you a pool it. table and they're like, no, no, not in the king, not in the house of the Lord, you know, like all these things. And, and dude, I got to a point where I just started doing what I was going to do. And I just said, look, sorry, you know, just, you know, that whole, like, just do it and ask for forgiveness later. But um, we were talking about that, just laughing. And I said, man, it took me a number of years to realize that all those crazy wild youth, man, that we were loving on and meeting like out in the streets and just building relationships. They were coming into the church family. All those people that that everybody within that church would look at as this hardened path that's probably not going to get it. If anything happens, it's going to get choked out and they're going to turn back to the ways of the world. That's how this, like some of these guys would see you know, all these students. Yeah. It took me years to realize like, no, dude, they were actually far closer to the kingdom than these very polished Bible wizards with, you know, stand up families and bank accounts that everyone was looking up to. And And he responds and he goes, well, what do you mean? And I said, dude, those students were far more willing to just take Jesus at his word and trust him as their only hope than these guys that we had that were leading the show that managing, managing the kingdom. Yep. And they were so self-reliant. Uh, God, please, please don't throw any more seed over there. Let's, let's yep. just, let's direct it over here, please. And I had never thought about that, man, until literally just like two days ago. It's like, wow, there it is. There, there it is. We don't have to have budget meetings on where we're going to bring the kingdom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be, according to Jesus, impossible. Hmm. So let's, uh, yeah, let's put a pause on the last call. Yeah. So, you know, we've been doing a thing called last call, which is just um, kind of like some leftover notes some leftover thoughts and even some um, just maybe responding to some feedback that we're getting and and those kinds of things. So be looking out for for that usually posts uh, later in the week. But um, thanks for tuning in to the Lark cast. Yeah, I hope you find this as, as encouraging as we are. <laughs> I think God really is that good, man. So until next time. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.